0: And God cares about this building. And he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful. And they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at BeyondTheWallsRadio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. What is humility? Humility. Is when you start to look at others in this setting in particular, and you begin to elevate their value a little bit higher, and you begin to more accurately measure your own value amongst them. Uh, Humility is not thinking higher of yourself than you ought. That's how the Apostle Paul described pride, thinking higher of yourself than you should. And that's connected directly to how high you think of others in contrast with yourself. It's also true that you ought not think lower of yourself than you should. And a lot of people fall into what I call reverse pride. And that's just as bad. It's not, it's not good for you to think lower of yourself than you should. That's a sin. So the beginning of humility is finding out who you are in Christ and where you're at now in your walk with the Lord, where you're at in your level of faith, where you're at in your understanding of the scriptures. And we discover, we'll talk about it today a little bit, that one of the ways that, that, you know, I think people are real passive about grace. I hear so much talking about it. And it's like people just think, yeah, grace is, you, you, you hear this, this rhetoric that it's not of works lest anyone should boast. I don't think they quite understand what that means because it's really talking about be humble so you can get grace. But if you say you need to be humble to get grace, they'll say, well, you're working for it. And they're so confused about this. And that's not true at all. You, you do have things to do. You were called unto good works. Really simple. you got things to do. And grace is directly connected to obedience. Always has been, always will be. If you're disobeying, you're not in grace. You just, you leave grace when you disobey. So you really can't have grace without the law of God because the first fall from grace was when they disobeyed the law of God in the garden. It's real simple to me, but it's so confusing with all this half truth and you do have to work. And and the thing about works in God, good works, we all should be doing good works. God loves good works. Jesus came and did good works. You should too. The thing about good works is, we're doing it in his strength through grace, so we don't take any credit for our good works either. Because if it wasn't for his grace, we wouldn't have the strength to do it anyway, right? It's not of works lest anyone should boast. The emphasis here is, is the subject of humility, and that being proud and arrogant keeps you from getting any grace. It's not talking about works and suggesting that you you should do no work because then we go back to the garden and didn't God create a work ethic? So he's interested in work then. Somebody say amen. amen. So grace flows sideways and our relating to one another is very, very important and being fed and being repaired so that anybody ever had broken plumbing? It's not fun. God doesn't want your plumbing to be broken and you can break your own plumbing if you try to fix it and you're not skilled in those types of things and you try to do it yourself and watch a youtube video and go down to menards and get the parts and then after there's water all over the floor and you've exploded things you call my brother-in-law dave to come clean up your big mess that you made right see some people don't have certain skills and everybody's not an apostle everybody's not a prophet it says some apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers, that was on purpose because there's a a very small minority of these kinds of men who are given that kind of grace. And so there are certain things that get broken because you're out establishing the kingdom, using your influence and trying to do what God's called you to do all week long and you get damaged and you get beat up, you get attacked, somebody says something mean, you go through all kinds of different stuff and just like with any piece of hardware, a lawnmower, you use a lawnmower, it's made for a purpose, like you were made for purpose. And that lawnmower really does a great job, but sometimes it needs an oil change, and sometimes you gotta sharpen that blade up because it gets dull by doing its appointed work. And you have work that you're appointed to, and sometimes you start to lose your edge, and you start getting dull, and time goes by. There's a passage of time. Everything in this world decays over time. So six days goes by, the fact that six days went by, you lost your edge and you needed to come back into the house of God and get sharpened up. And so there's repairing going on right while I'm talking right now and I know it and I thank God for it. You're you're getting your edge back. Turn to your husband and say, you need to be sharper, I'm glad you're here. And so marriage is really critical to understand. And so it's interesting, Paul tells us really if you want to understand grace, you got to understand. The spiritual components of marriage Now I'm convinced that a lot of people Know natural things about marriage But what we're talking about Is there's spiritual truth That parallels with the institution of marriage And you maybe don't necessarily understand that But Peter did And Peter said something I want you to see it You don't have to be married To see these spiritual parallels And benefit from it I want to say that Because maybe you're single or you're divorced, or whatever, and you've never been married, I wanna say this to you. Remember, Jesus didn't get married. The Apostle Paul was not married. Peter was, but Paul wasn't. So, you're not necessarily shortchanged in life, and it's not necessarily impossible for you to see all the same beautiful truth just because you haven't done it because I wanna remind you that the greatest preacher on earth never got married and that was Jesus and the apostle Paul was probably number two and he never got married and yet he taught the spiritual parallels of marriage having himself never been married. So I wanna encourage you, if you're single, you're young and you're not married, that doesn't mean you should tune me out and not listen. You could benefit from this. I wanna show you something you don't hear a lot about it. I alluded to it in the last sermon, but I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter. We've already looked at what Paul said, behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in the church when he described marriage. I want to show you what Peter said about your marriage, and I want you to, to really understand that this reinforces and solidifies everything I have been telling you about the direction that grace always flows. Very, very few individual people can dismiss themselves from the corporate body and go off by themselves and meet with God. Not not in the way that many think. There are those that can, and God is sovereign enough to decide if he wants to meet with one person, he'll do it. He did it with Moses. He did it with Elijah. He did it with Elisha. He did it with Jesus. But I even find it interesting that even Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was not there alone. Even the Son of God, perfect. He had a couple sleepy, dopey and droopy. A couple of the elves came with him and they fell asleep, but they were there. And then Jesus, when he appeared at the Mount of Transfiguration, he was standing with Moses and Elijah and Father God. So there's just something about others and togetherness when you really have your most powerful meetings with God, there's almost always other people there. There are exceptions, but part of being humble is assuming that you're not the exception. See, people that always assume they are the exception always have a pride problem. I'll give you five exceptions. These are men that can take a gallon of water, put it in a canoe and go out to an island and get alone with God for a period of time And God will come talk to them. It's because that they have a different purpose. And they're called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They have a unique invitation in a very personal one-on-one way to access something in God that just anybody else can't. And it's not because God loves them more than anyone else. It's because they are called to do something different from everybody else. And so Peter says something remarkable here that so many people, and I think you're in a unique position now, having heard me preach this, that when I read this verse, you're probably gonna get more out of it than you maybe ever have because you're gonna see that this is right in line with what I've been saying about grace flowing sideways. And you're gonna notice the magical, it's probably not the best word, but almost a magical thing about marriage as it parallels with the supernatural relationship that we have with Jesus when we're together. Let's begin in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's talking about wives that are married to a bonehead. And he doesn't obey God, and he's, he's got a head as, as thick as wood, And it's frustrating. There's probably ladies in here right now and you're thinking, that's talking to me. My husband does not obey God. Well, we've got instructions for you. Number two, verse two. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by your reverence of God and reverence for the things of God, the New King James calls it fear. Verse three, do not let your adornment how you look Hot and sexy for your husband. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. I like it that some of the translators added merely because some of the holiness Pentecostal women, they read that and merely wasn't there. And they thought, oh, we're not supposed to try to look nice. And so they actually think it's holy to look as homely as possible. And I think that that's not helping too much on the whole don't defraud one another thing kind of defrauding your husband in a whole new way there. But don't be, don't be housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> Carnal, disgusting women who, who are like lipstick on a pig. Their personalities are just twisted and horrible. They're sinners above all else. Lusty, disgusting, and vile. But they have specially poofed up lips and plastic parts so that they look like a Barbie doll, but they're just ugly inside. Don't just be only a painted up barn. So it's okay to dress nice. Everybody look, say it's all right for you to look pretty. I like that. But don't just be pretty. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs filled with rotting flesh. Don't be like that, ladies. Jesus wants you to look pretty on the outside and the inside. So don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair and wearing gold or putting on your fine apparel. This is good preaching, ladies. Someone say, amen. (laughs) Rather, let it also, I like to say also, let it also, because we want you to dress nice. We like that. Let it also be the hidden person of your heart with the incorruptible. That means when you wake up tomorrow, It's not ugly on the inside. It's incorruptible. Once God gets on the inside of you, it can't be lost. It's permanent beauty. Let it be with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. A little bit of discussion about etiquette and what it means to be a godly lady Means that you shouldn't be loud and abrasive. Doesn't matter what your personality is, you should learn to not be loud and abrasive. Women shouldn't act like men. Can you say amen? And transversely, women, school teachers, stop feminizing boys. Boys, we expect them to be loud and aggressive. That's good. They're boys. Don't try to make them act like girls women school teachers need help with this because they don't understand they think boys are always naughty and the girls are well behaved it's called testosterone (laughs) it's how they're supposed to be and you probably shouldn't always call it naughty because it's not necessarily naughty it might be naughty that you're trying to get boys to act like girls i think that's disgusting and that's a problem with our entire public education system feminizing the boys masculinizing the girls. There's a difference. We're all created equal, but that doesn't mean mechanically equal, right? Some of you look different from me. I can run faster than you. Some of you can jump higher than I can, but I can kick harder than you can. We're not mechanically equal. I guarantee you there's things I can do that Molly can't, like lift anything over 15 pounds. (laughs) Or open a pickle jar. <laughs> so I'm equal inside before the justice of God. We're created equal that way. And I'm equal before the blood of the lamb. And I've been made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus. No more righteous than you have been. We're equal together in the body of Christ in that sense. But we're not mechanically equal. Absolutely not. Even spiritually, we're not mechanically equal because God sent me into the office of apostle and prophet and there's only some of those and so there are mechanical things I can do because of my job description and what God's anointed me to do that everybody can't do now, you could get someone that loves Jesus with all their heart but they're not a set apart five-fold ascension gift and have them come up and repeat a phrase word for word and say the exact same thing that I said and I know because of the grace given to me by the Lord, it will not have the same effect on those that hear it as it will when I say it. And it is only by the grace of God that when I say it, it repairs people or confronts or convicts of sin. I have an ability to do that. Many people resent it, but I have, the, it's a grace and I don't take any credit for it, it's him. He gave it to me, it's his choice. If you don't, if you don't like that, complain to him, see what he says. Cora tried that, so beware. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and A Great Awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people in how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Look at verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, husbands, likewise, dwell with them, meaning the women, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That means a man and a woman are not mechanically equal. We can open pickle jars, and they can't. And I'll tell you something else, and I've noticed this. I overheard my children one day talking. They didn't know I could hear them. All four of them, even Rachel chimed in. They were discussing their mom spanking them. And I heard my three-year-old, "Mom's spankings don't hurt. (laughs) And Jonas, very sincerely, sometimes I kind of try to make myself cry, so, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I try hard to make it seem like it does, but it doesn't <laughs> I heard them saying that. And then I heard them say this, dad's spankings are horrible. <laughs> and then they all, one at a time, You don't want dad to spank you. And they get, then they start exaggerating about things I've done to them that's not true. But I like it. And I said to my wife, I didn't say anything to the children. I said, "Uh, somebody needs to swing harder. Your authority is in question and your credibility is on the line. purpose of the sea. we're not mechanically equal and <laughs> no offense but I think she probably is swinging as hard as she can <laughs> we're not mechanically equal and it says that right there dwell with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and all my children have acknowledged that Molly is weaker but look at this this is what I want you to see this is the part I think everybody misses And as being heirs, the husband and the wife, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now watch this. That your prayers may not be hindered. Listen to me. Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. Your marriage is so sacred to God, the institution, the purpose of it, that if you do not understand that grace flows sideways, not only do you have to understand that when you're in a local church, you're in a covenant with these people right here. You're in a covenant with them. If your relationship is messed up with this group, your prayers will be hindered because behold, I speak of a mystery. And if you do not walk right with your spouse, He just warns you that God will not listen to your prayers. Why? The horizontal relationship is the source of the grace of life. Now, it's two kinds of life being discussed. A husband and a wife are given the grace of life together. You can't have it without both. You know why? The grace of life that they first received is what God supernaturally programmed in the human body that it takes a man and a woman to make a new life called a baby. Together you inherit the grace to cause a human to be born the first time. But then that same grace spiritually allows that child to grow up and be born a second time. So grace, Actually, the gift of God, grace, is granted to a husband and a wife for the beautiful privilege of having children. And then the grace that flows sideways in this marriage called your church membership, your relationship with the body of Christ. This grace empowers you to help those people born first by the grace of marriage to be born again into the kingdom of God. You are called to reproduce through the born again experience as a husband and wife are granted grace of life and the born the first time experience. Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in the church. If you sit like my brother Chase did at breakfast when my mother passed him a bowl of Cheerios and you refuse to eat because you think you see a booger. (laughs) I tell you what. My mom was furious. This happened day after day after day. He'd pout. He'd look at the cereal and go, (sighs) and my mom would say, Chase, eat your breakfast. And he'd go, I can't. Chase, you will. I can't, there's a booger in it It's right there. (laughs) And she'd have this argument, there is not a booger in your cereal, eat your cereal. Yes, there is. I see it. And he, and he, he got spanked over this. It was delightful. <laughs> so you can come to church and be the same way. And you can sit down and the grace that's meant to repair you and to help you and to confront you and convict you if you're wrong because you need it. All that grace that God has given, all the work he went to so he could give an ascension gift and give you a preacher so that it could, it could flow in here. You cut yourself off from the corporate grace of God. You don't have a right attitude in the church. You're not humble, which means you're able to recognize that whoever God has set in front of you as the preacher. You humble yourself to accept whether you may be like how they dressed, how they sound, or their sense of humor. You understand that despite their flaws, they are a gift and they have a grace you don't have that you need. And you, you humble yourself to receive from the preacher. And you can do the opposite. Many people have done that. I've watched it. I watched them do it to my dad growing up. I watched a lot of this. You know, you just, you see a booger in everything, don't you? It's all you see boogers. Imaginary boogers. Not eating it. And you need a spanking. That's what you need. So you can come to church and still not receive that grace. What happens to you? Here's the evidence, because we need evidence to prove things. Evidence constitutes proof. The way that you will see the evidence of a young couple that understand the grace of life is they won't fall into materialism and not wanna have children. You'll see the evidence of their love and the evidence of the grace of life that is given uniquely only to a man and a woman in a covenant relationship, a marriage, since the book of Genesis. You'll see the evidence of their unity and their love because they will reproduce children that are born the first time. Do you want to know how to see whether or not grace is flowing in your life in the body of Christ? It's when we look to see, is there anybody getting born again a second time? See, if you're in a right relationship with the local church and you're really humble, you're humbling yourself, you're listening to the instruction and humility not only receives grace but does something with it. So you hear grace, you hear the instruction that comes from heaven and there's grace on it and then you go and you do it and then as you do it, like for example, the wonderful things that we taught on Wednesday night for about 19 Wednesdays. So if you start to do the things that the Lord had me to teach about how to lead people to Jesus, your love, your intimacy with Jesus Christ, your close relationship, everybody says it's just between me and Jesus, or well, the proof of your intimacy with Jesus, listen to me, is if anybody is getting born a second time, when people start getting born a second time, I know you've been very intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ because you can't, you can't help that. You know, I hate to poke fun, but I'm thinking of a particular couple that they got older and they didn't want to have children anymore in this church. And they, they went to lengths to keep from having children anymore and they got pregnant anyway. And see, that's because husbands and wives find one another irresistible. And try as they may, maybe, to, to not have any more children after they feel they've, they've fulfilled their obligations and they've given birth to many children and they're getting older and their bodies are tired and they just really just don't want to smell poopy diapers anymore. And they think, you know what, this is enough. This is, I'm, I'm, this house is crazy. I, I can't, I can't handle any more. And they decide, but they find themselves so irresistible. Their intimacy is so wonderful that they end up getting pregnant again. And I always find that funny. And it's like that with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of talk about how much we love Jesus. And so many people don't think they need the church. Jesus is not the Lord of their schedule. And they're defrauding the Lord Jesus they're defrauding the lord jesus as if a woman said to her husband 10 nights in a row i have a headache i i don't want to take care of your needs and jesus is being defrauded of what is due him do you know what's due him people getting born a second time the conception of a saved soul so it's one thing to talk about how much you love jesus why don't you show me it's one thing to talk about how great jesus is who's how long has it been, folks? It's a good, honest question, and it is designed to convict you if you need it. So just accept it. Be humble, and grace will flow and repair you. How long has it been since your intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ caused a new life to be born again? Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in the church.